Well, good morning. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Uh, It's week two into it, if you haven't realized that yet, 2015. My name is Kevin Barrett. Happy to be here with you here this morning. Um, We're going to be in Esther chapter 2 and 3, chapter uh, 2, verse 21 through 315, if you want to grab your Bible and flip there. Let you know a little bit about me in case I don't know you. Um, I'm a youth pastor here at Grace Bible Church, uh, Anderson Campus. I've been here about six years. This is my sixth year in that position. And uh, I've got three amazing kids and a beautiful wife. I have a four-year-old daughter named Peyton. I have a three-year-old son named Micah. And I have an 18-month-old son named Jesse. And Jesse is just now escaping double ear infection. So we're very thankful that he uh, is escaping that for our new year. That's awesome. So Esther chapter 3, I'm going to start reading in verse 7 for us. Read a little bit, pray for us one more time, and then we will dive in. Esther chapter 3, starting verse 7. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, not the car, month. And in the twelfth year of King Assyrius, they, ca- they cast purr, that is they cast lots before Haman day after day. And they cast it month after month till the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Then Haman said to the king of Susurus, there's a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people and they do not keep the king's laws so that it is not in the king's profit to tolerate them. If it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed and I pay a thousand talents of silver into the hands of those who are have charge of the king's business, that they may put into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the Agagite, son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, the money is given to you, the people also, to do with them as seems good to you. Then the king's scribes were summoned on the 13th day of the first month, and an edict according to all that Haman commanded, was written to the king's satraps and to the governors and all the provinces and the officials of the peoples, to every province in its own script and every people in its own language. It was written in the name of King Asusurus and scaled or sealed with the king's signet ring. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with instructions to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children. In one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. Verse 15, the couriers went out hurriedly by the order of the king, and the decree was issued in Susa the citadel. And the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. Let me pray for us one more time. Lord, I thank you so much for this morning. And Lord, the the story that we're looking at is one of of confusion. And Lord, for many of us, this year might have been a year of confusion. Where we were blindsided by some things, where some expectations weren't met, where some surprises hit. And so Lord, I pray that as we look at this passage of scripture, that you would give us wisdom and how to walk through the struggles of life. And that God, we would know that you'd never... Leave us, you never forsake us, you never abandon us, but Lord, you will carry us through the tough circumstances. So Lord, we need wisdom in how to navigate those tough steps. And so Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open to hear how to do just that. So in your name we pray, amen. 
Well, I'm going to do something this morning that you probably haven't done at this point in a message. And I want you to do this. I want you to think of a phrase or a word to describe this past year for you. Your phrase, your word to describe your last year. I want you to think about that phrase. Now, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to turn to someone beside you. You may not even know that person, but you're about to get to know them. And I want you to, dis- to say your f- word, your phrase that describes this past year for you. All right, so ready? Think and share. Go. Your word, your phrase to describe your last year for you. Got it? Got it? Now, I don't know what you said. I don't know your exact word, your phrase to describe your last year, but I would say they probably fall in one of two categories. Uh, for, for some of you, it was an amazing year. It was an incredible year. And so as you turn to that person, you just say, I nailed it, right? Like I rocked. Like last year was awesome for me, you know? For others of you, though, it wasn't awesome, amazing, indescribable, phenomenal for you. You know, it wasn't that, but it was on the other end of the spectrum. And it was, it was a frustrating year. It was a discouraging year. It was... It was a rough year. And I don't know where you are on that spectrum, but if for you, if you are the one that had the rough year, I want to actually encourage you with what we're going to be talking about this morning. Because as we're looking at the passages that we're looking at, we're looking at a scenario where it has been a rough year, where it seems like nothing is going their way. And for some of you, it may have been a scenario where it felt like nothing was going your way. For me growing up in college, uh, I had bad cars all growing up, which means cars that didn't work, right? And so I would be driving down the road and, and at some random moment, the car would just decide, no, I'm done. This is it, you know? And so I remember one time I was driving down Mopac, a major freeway outside of Austin, and I'm driving through and I come to the Mopac Bridge crossing. And Mopac Bridge, if you've ever driven it, the, the shoulders aren't very wide. They're actually pretty narrow, not even wide enough to put a car if you were, you know, your car turned off for some reason, right? And so as I'm driving one day, my car immediately turns off and I'm like, oh great. And I'm trying to get over to the shoulder and I get off and part of my wheels are still in the main thoroughfare. And I'm sitting there like, great, what am I gonna do? And so I did the only thing I I knew to do. I called a buddy of mine and said, hey, how's it going? Yeah, what are you up to? Yeah, me? Oh, uh, yeah, I'm on Mopac Bridge. Stuck. Okay, can you help me out? Uh, is there anything you can do? And he drives up, and he calls a tow truck to come get me. He pulls in behind me, and I go to open my door to kind of go talk with him. And uh, Austin drivers are always really nice, really considerate, and someone in that scenario. And they just zip by me, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. And, and so I just call him up like, yeah, I don't know what we're going to do. And the tow truck guy finally comes, finally, you know, tows, gets me out of there. And, but I was just in that moment going like, Why? Why do bad things always happen to me? Why do my cars always decide to quit on me? I mean, have you been there? You just feel like everything gets stacked against you. And what's even worse is not just when things get stacked against you, but it's when good things happen to bad people. I mean, bad things happen to good people, not so bad. You can deal with it because you can be like, okay, well, maybe there's like this order of life in which bad things happen to everyone, so everyone's got to get the raw end of the, you know, short end of the stick, raw end of the deal at some point. But for me, you watch, and, and sometimes bad people get good blessings, right? Bad people get good circumstances. And it's even worse when you watch evil people, you don't want to call them evil, but in your mind, you're going, they're evil, right? And you watch them succeed. You watch them thrive. And you know what? You're not unique in that. In fact, the biblical writers had the same issue. And in Job chapter 21, verse 7, it says this, Why do the wicked live, reach old age, and grow mighty in power? 
Jeremiah 12:1 says this, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. Yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? Have you ever been in that conflict? You're like, okay, bad things are happening to me and they're winning. And bad things are stacking up on me and they're winning. It feels like everything is against you. How do you walk through life? How do you navigate your life circumstances when it feels like everything is going against you? Well, we're going to look at a passage in the book of Esther. And really, it looks like bad thing is being stacked upon bad thing. It looks like a situation where it's going from bad to worse. But what I want to do this morning is I want to look through three bad scenarios. The scenarios of of where good goes unrewarded, when evil people get elevated, and when crisis hits. And to ask the question, all right, how do we navigate through those tough times? Before we jump in, I want to tell you this. God is a great story writer. You see, every great story writer, whether you're uh, writing a book or you're writing a movie, there's something that has to be in the story. There has to be great tragedy before there's great triumph. There has to be great pain before there's great joy. There has to be insurmountable circumstances that the hero is walking through before you ever see the bright light at the end of the movie. Why? Because otherwise it wouldn't be a good story. And when God is writing the story of history, he's writing it through and he allows tragedy, pain, trial to hit. But that's not the end of the story. And this year may have been a rough year, but that isn't the end of your story. And so this story begins um, in Persia. The story takes place in, during the Persian Empire, somewhere between 539 and 531 BC. And King Xerxes is in power. King Xerxes is a very powerful king um, leading the nation of Persia. If you're familiar with uh, the movie 300, not recommending it, or the, the, the warriors at that time, the Spartans. Like, it's that same king who's in power at this time. And at this point in history, he can pretty much do whatever he wants. And the Jews had been in exile under Babylon. Now they're under this King Xerxes who's in power. And Esther, a Jewish woman, has just been raised to, the, to be queen. And some of you may be thinking, well, that sounds like a great deal. Like, she's queen of Persia. That sounds awesome. But actually, the king just disposed of his last wife because she wouldn't dance in front of his buddies, right? So it's not a good scenario to be queen because you could be kicked out the door in a second. There's no no future guaranteed for you. And at this point in time, Haman had, had, or Mordecai had raised Esther. He had cared for her. She had come from a bad family background. Both of her parents were dead, but he raised her as his own daughter. And suddenly she's taken into the king's palace. He says, look, just listen to the king. You do what he's asking and you just follow through your steps. And, and, and the question is, what's going to happen with this nation? What's going to happen with Esther? What's going to happen with Mordecai? What's going on? And in that moment, we get a, a picture into what, Mordecai is doing. And in Esther chapter 2, verse 21, it says this. Now, in those days, while Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's officials from those who guarded the door, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Asusurus. 
But the plot became known to Mordecai, and he told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. Now when the plot was investigated, it was found out to be so, and they were both hanged on the gallows. And it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the king's presence. And what we see in this moment is is Mordecai is sitting at the king's gate. Now the king's gate was the place where business transactions transactions took place. It's, it's when it, where plans were laid. It's, it's the business Wall Street of their day. And as they're sitting there, he sees two men and they're plotting against King Xerxes. They're plotting to kill him. And in that moment, he's in this quandary. Okay, what do I do with this information? I mean, what do you do when you have information that could level your boss? What do you do when you have inside information that could, that could put someone in a very bad scenario? They could re- lose their job. They could lose uh, the, their, their opportunities. What do you do with that information? Xerxes is an evil king. Esther's future is uncertain. What could he do with that content? He could get, get on board. He could be quiet. He could let them carry through with their plans. What does Mordecai do? Well, it says that he went to Esther and he told her the plot, go tell the king, look at these guys. And he was actually faithful. He honored the king who was in power. But let's just be honest. It's difficult to honor people in power. High school kids, you know this, right? The teacher stands in front of the classroom. You're like, oh my gosh. She says little things and you're like, oh my gosh. Those teachers are in this room, by the way. You know, they're like over there and, and you're rolling your eyes. But yeah, but yeah, it's hard to say, yeah, we're going to do that homework assignment. That's going to be super, right? For some of you, you don't have a good boss, right? I've got a great boss He's right there. Um, but some of you don't have a good boss. And so you go, you go, oh, okay, like when he asked me to do something or she asked me to do something, like I just, I don't, I don't want to do it. What do you do? Well, in Romans chapter 13, verse seven, one through seven, it says this. Every person is to be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists this authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed, um, have opposed will, who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, Honor to whom honor. In every scenario you're in, you're called to honor the people above you. And that's what Mordecai did. It's hard. It's really hard. And you know when it's even harder? When the good you do goes unrewarded. Like when the right action doesn't receive any benefit. You see, normally what would happen is if someone was to save the life of a king, there should be some sort of honor given to them, right? So if you save their life, maybe get some money, maybe get some benefits, maybe get a position in power, you should get some sort of reward. But in chapter three, verse one, it says Haman was promoted. Five years later, Mordecai gets nothing. have Have you ever been there? Have you ever been doing the right thing, but you don't feel like you're getting the right results? Have you been the person doing the good thing and the good work you're doing is going unrewarded? Have you ever felt that way? I mean, moms, I know you, you feel this way, right? Because if you've got small kids like I do, you know that you'll clean, right? 
You'll go up to the room and you'll clean that room. You'll get everything set. It's beautiful. It's perfect. And then 10 minutes later, your daughter, your son goes through everything, right? It's everywhere. And, you're, and you get up to a point where you're just like, is it even worth it? We've we got a playroom upstairs. We've got all these toys set out there. And my kids, the only way they can kind of figure out what toy they want to play with is to take out every item, you know, every box of stuff, dump it all out all over the floor. And I remember just walking up. I just cleaned it up yesterday. You walk up and you go, am I going to clean that again? Are we really going to do this one more time? I mean, you feel that. You feel like there, there, there's all the good I do isn't going to be rewarded. Or you've, done, you've worked hard at work. You've turned in the reports on time. You're moving business along. You're doing the right things. But you're not getting the promotion. You're not getting the next opportunity. The doors are being closed for you. Or you're just sitting and waiting. What do you do when you're in that scenario? Well, what Mordecai did is he was faithful. And he was faithful because good is rewarded in God's good time. You see, although it may be forgotten by the people in your business, by the people who are watching you, good activity, good faithfulness to the place God's put you is not forgotten by God. Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter six. He says, but when you, but you when you pray, go into your inner room, close the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, I say that, but, but honestly, like I said, like, uh, go do right in secret, and God in his good time will reward you. And if you hear that, you go, that just sounds ridiculous. That sounds so hard. But here's what you don't know, and here's what I don't know. We don't know the end of the story. We don't know what God has planned. We don't know what God is going to do with that little deposit of faithfulness. And neither did Mordecai. You see, it's going to be six years later that King Asusurus is going to be laying in bed with insomnia. He's not going to be able to sleep. And in chapter 6 of Esther, it says that he calls his officials in, hey, read me something to put me to sleep. Let's read some history. And so he gets his, his friends in to read the history of people that have helped out the king. And they come, just so happened to come to the moment when Mordecai saved his life. And he says, hey, has, has anything been done to Mordecai? Has anything, any reward been given to him? And they said, no. And it's at that moment in the story where the tide is going to turn in the favor of the Jews. It's because of that act of faithfulness six years previously that he is going to be able to save a people. You know what? You don't know what your small act of faithfulness will bring in the future. You don't know. But God knows. God asks you to be faithful with the thing right in front of you and let him open the next opportunity for you because no good is forgotten by our God. I know for me, when I was in, in college, sometimes this, this benefit plays out in, in, in real time. So I was in college and I was uh, choosing to be an intern at a church uh, that I was working at and raising my own support, working hard uh, with a group of people that wasn't all that responsive. And I'll tell you what, it was a rough, rough year. Scraping by, eating a lot of ramen and hope, you know, like that's kind of my meal plan. And, and I worked hard. I was faithful. And I came to the end of that year and I said, hey, I'm going to be moving to College Station. My fiance at the time is in veterinary school here. And I don't know anyone in College Station except some, you know, questionable track people. You know, I didn't know anyone. And so my boss calls up Brian Fisher and says, hey, I've got a guy moving do you have an opportunity for him? 
and the door was opened up. You never know. You never know what your single act of faithfulness will bring. And so what God is saying is, look, hey, in the midst when it feels like good is going unrewarded, you don't know what will happen. You be faithful with what I've opened for you. But Mordecai didn't know this. He was just being faithful, and then another crisis got stacked on top. In chapter 3, verse, verses 1, it says this. After these events, the king Asusurus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, and advanced him and established his authority over all the princes who were, who were with him. All the king's servants who were the king's, at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for so the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai neither bowed nor paid homage. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? Now it was, now it was when they had spoken um, daily to him, and he would listen to him, that, he, that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's reason would stand. For he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai neither bowed nor paid homage to him, Haman was filled with rage, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him uh, who, who the people of Mordecai were. Therefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, who were throughout the whole kingdom. Now Haman was an Agagite. Now Agagites were, were a group of the Amalekites that were historically an enemy of the Jewish people. They had long for been, been on different sides, always been fighting, and this man was promoted by the king, and Mordecai refused to bow. Now, he was, was he not showing respect? No, he was showing respect. He was given a place of honor, but Mordecai just wasn't going to bow. He would respect him. He just wouldn't bow to him. And in, th- in this place, they're going like, what's going to happen? And, and Haman is getting frustrated. But have you ever been there when evil people get elevated? When bad people get the good positions. I mean, look at our world, right? In our world, in our culture, it's oftentimes that we see bad people get the breaks, right? I was reading an article uh, in Ask Men, right? It was talking about dating. So if you ever want to know about dating, don't go to Ask Men. But I was reading Ask Men about dating. And uh, I'm married, but I was just resources. Anyway, so I'm reading it. And, uh, and so the question proposed was, was this. Uh, do bad guys get the best girls? And that's the big kind of quandary. And if you're in high school, you probably wondered the same thing. You're like, okay, does the baseball player always get the girl? Like, what's going on here, right? And the answer, ask men, yes. Bad guys get good girls. And so if you ask girls, like, do you want a bad boy? They're like, oh yeah, I totally want the bad boy. And so, and so that's what they're saying. And you may have felt that, right? You may have felt that in your life. You're like, okay, it feels like the bad guys are getting the good girls. It feels like evil people are being elevated. Or girls, you probably felt the same way. Like, why do all of the girls that just throw their morals out the window, run after the dudes. Why do they get the dates? Why do they get the opportunities? And if I'm pure and I'm trying to live the right way, why do I not get that? It seems like bad people get the good results. It feels like evil people are always being elevated. It feels like the wrong people are always winning. And look at our sports athletes. I love our athletes. I love watching sports. But oftentimes, it can feel like guys with questionable behavioral patterns, right? questionable activities, guys that are violent, are extremely talented. How does that pairing always seem to play out? You are phenomenal on the field. And these are some very questionable issues that you're dealing with. Like, why does it always happen? 
Why does it always feel like good guys finish last, good girls finish last, evil always prospers? It can feel that way. Years ago, uh, Rod Stewart came out with a song. He said it this way. Thank you, Rod. Some guys have all the luck. Some guys have all the pain. Some guys get all the breaks. Some guys do nothing but complain. And then he, he laments. Alone in a crowd on a bus after work, I'm, dre- I'm dreaming. The guy next to me has a girl in his arms. My arms are empty. How does it feel when the girl next to you says she loves you? It seems so unfair when there's love everywhere, but there's none for me. And it may not be love, but put your thing in there, right? I want this, and it feels like that's never going to happen for me because it's always given to someone else. How do we deal with that? What's amazing is, is once again, we don't know the end of the story. And what Mordecai did was he was faithful with what he knew where he was. And God gives us this wisdom in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. It says this, Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. You wait. You be patient. And you let the judge of the universe judge you. You let the king of the universe write the circumstances. I love Psalm 37, 7 through 11. It says this, Resist, rest in the Lord, and wait patiently. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger, forsake wrath, do not fret. It leads only to evil doing, for evil doers will be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Yet a little while, and the wicked man will be no more. And you will look carefully for his place, and he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. You see, God is writing a great story with your life. You know what he wants from you? Faithfulness. Patience. You do the right thing even when it goes unrewarded. You do the right thing even in the midst of opposition. And you know what? You don't know the end of the story. We can see the past and we know our present, but God alone knows the future. And even though it may feel like other people are getting the breaks, God says, look, you be faithful and you focus your eyes on me and you wait patiently for what I'm going to do next. And then we see what happens next. In the story, it gets worse, right? I mean, it gets worse. Haman then goes to Xerxes and he gets Xerxes to agree to this plan. Hey, I'm going to give you 10,000 talents of silver and I'm going to wipe out all the Jews. It's going to be a really sweet plan. This is going to be great. And you look at this and, and, and if, you're, if you're smart and you're thinking about it, you're like, okay, wait a minute. It feels like it's just stacking one bad move after another. It feels like everything is just getting worse. And if you're a cynic, the cynic in you goes, okay, see, no good deed goes unpunished, right? Evil will always prosper. I mean, it's almost like if you're a Jew at this time, or maybe you felt this, that your life is an ice cream bowl. And in that ice cream bowl, there's been scoops of misery and whipped cream of despair and 
chocolate sprinkles of hopelessness, right? Like that's been your little ice cream bowl. And you can feel that sometimes. You go, there's no hope. And I said, I'm just going to sit there in my couch. I'm just going to eat because everything's against me. But you don't know the end of the story. You know what God does in your life and in my life? He sprinkles enough hope to get you to look up and look forward. He sprinkles enough hope in your story, enough hope in the, in the midst of despair so that you would look up to him and look forward to what he's doing. You notice when it, what day it said it was? It said it's in the month of Nisan. You may not know what that means because you're not a Jew. But if you were a Jew and you read that, the month of Nisan, that date, that is the day before Passover, So this edict that all the Jews are going to be destroyed is said the day before Passover. What is Passover? It is the greatest day of celebration in the life of a Jew. It is the greatest day of freedom. It is basically their 4th of July. It was that day when Moses went to the king of Egypt and said, you let my people go. All right, we're getting them out of here. And he pulls them out and frees the nation. They celebrated this every year. Fireworks are going off. This is the best day. Even though crisis came, it wasn't the end of the story. They needed to look forward because there was a great thing coming. The best way I can explain this is to, uh, is to look at Will Smith, right? And Will Smith in particular bat- battling with aliens. Okay, so not the moment when Will Smith was battling aliens in Men in Black 1, 2, or 3. and Not when Will Smith was battling aliens in After Earth. And not when Will Smith was battling aliens um, at any other time, but... The moment that we need to look at is when Will Smith was battling aliens in the movie Independence Day. Now, if you've seen the movie Independence Day, it came out a long time ago, 1999. Uh, what happens, you probably watched it on TNT. They have, anyway, so you can watch the movie. So what happens in the movie Independence Day is it's July 2nd. And s- spaceships come from outer space and they put themselves over every major city across the globe. And it comes to be known quickly by everyone in the movie that these guys only have evil in mind. They're basically a bunch of locusts. They're going to come to this planet, take all of its resources, and leave it vacant as they go. And the thought is, no one can win this war. No one can win this battle. But they don't know Will Smith, right? And so they get to a moment when they're they're at the airplane base and the president's there. And it goes July 2nd, July 3rd. July 4th, and the president stands up. He says, we're going to fight them. And the whole world will know that this isn't just America's Independence Day. This is the world's Independence Day. And they're like, yeah, let's do it, right? And they get excited. And you know, as soon as you look at the title of that movie, there's no way America is going to lose in a movie called Independence Day, right? And if you're a Jew reading this, you're going, okay, It's the day before the greatest day of our salvation. There is enough sprinkle of hope to know that this story isn't going to end in despair. God is writing a different story. It may be tragedy, but there's going to be triumph on the other side. There may be pain, but the pain isn't the end. There's going to be joy. And when Jesus was walking the earth, he died on the cross and the next, and he rose from the grave and then he's walking with some of his disciples down the, down the road of Emmaus. Now they don't know who he is and he walks up and he says, why are y'all kind of, you know, why are y'all downcast? What's going on? And they said, are you the only one in Israel that doesn't know what's happened? 
We thought the Messiah was going to come, this Jesus of Nazareth. We thought he was going to be reigning over this. And he's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And he walks with them for a while. And then they sit down for a meal. And then he, it says, beginning with Moses and going through all of the prophets, he described to them the sprinkle of hope that God had placed throughout the entire story. That there was going to be tragedy before triumph. That the Messiah must suffer in order to bring joy. The same is true in your story. There may be darkness, but the darkness isn't the end of the story. There may be tragedy on Friday, but Sunday's coming. Years ago, uh, one of the first sermons I ever listened to was uh, from a guy named Tony Campolo. And Tony Campolo tells a story about when he grew up in, in, a, in a black church, right? And he grew up in a black church, and, and there came in this black church where there would be a preach-off. And the way he says it is, in white churches, they, you know, everyone kind of goes, well, stop, stop. But in black churches, they go, 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 right? And so they were having like this day of services at this black church, and each person would preach their message. And it was Tony's time. And he gets up, and he nails it. He goes, I was so good, I was taking notes on me, right? I was, it was awesome. And then he goes and sits down next to the bishop, and someone in the first service told me that was uh, Evie Hill. And so he goes and sits down next to Evie Hill and Evie puts his hand on Tony Campolo and says, you did good, boy. He goes, I hate it when he called me boy, right? And he goes, but this old man's gonna do you in. He says, and that man did me in with one phrase. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. He says, but you had to be there and I wasn't there. So I'm gonna try to bring us there as best I can, right? Neither are you. You're not there. You're here. He says the disciples were in disarray. They were confused. It was, it was, it was their Messiah was gone. They were running around scared. But that was Friday. Friday. Sundays are coming. Women are crying by the tomb. They don't know, but it's only Friday. Friday. But Sundays are coming. Everyone scared of the darkness across the earth. Everyone thought it was a loss. God, zero, Satan, one. But that was only Friday. Friday. Feel it. Sundays are coming. And you know what? The same is true with you. The day may have been dark last year. But last year is not the end of your story. There's a great Sunday coming. And you know what? That Sunday may be next month. That Sunday may be next year. That Sunday may be a long time coming. But there's a great author of this story who is bringing great good to all of his people. There's going to be a great day when God wipes away every tear of our eyes, every pain that we walk through, all of the unjustness that we've walked through. God will do away with it through the person of Jesus. See, he went to the cross and paid the ultimate price for our sins. And not just for the good people, for the evil people. And not just for the winners, but for the losers. He died on the cross paying for every one of our sins. And if we look to the cross, put our faith in him, he frees us of our sin and opens up eternity. And there's going to be a great Sunday in the new heavens and new earth that's coming. It may be dark today, but this isn't the end of the story. This is a blip on the radar to the great place God is leading us to. So how do you walk through the struggles? Can I give you a couple applications? How do we walk 
through the struggles that we face, we know that God, that good is rewarded in, God, in God's good time, that evil won't ultimately triumph. And we look towards God's great reversal when he writes the story. Can I pray for us? Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And Lord, I thank you that, that some of us have had a tough year. Some of us had a dark year. Some of us, all the expectations of, of, of great things that we had last year ended this year. And Lord, I thank you that you allowed us to walk through that. But that's not the end of the story. And Lord, I thank you so much that you sent Jesus to live the life we could not live, to die the death we deserve to die, and to bring us into freedom and hope by the resurrection and the new heavens and new earth that you're bringing. And so Lord, I pray that if some of us are struggling this year and are uncertain about next year, that we would look to the cross, to the great finish that you're bringing, and we'd find hope in you, the only place we can truly find it. I lift up these people to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You guys have a great morning.